0: Way to do this. Let me show you Hi folks,
1: this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we all can do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is January the 15th, 2021, and I would be remiss if I didn't say, hey guys, gals, That's 50% of the month gone. Well, technically halfway through tomorrow is, but half of the first month of a new year is already gone like a fart in the wind. That means that you better be working on your self-sufficiency, liberty, and independence right now. Because if you're not, remember how it works. Life shoves you backwards. There is no way to get away from this. You either improve your position or life will push it backwards. And guess what? Life pushing it backwards went on steroids in 2020. That's really what all of this crap has done. It's accelerated the natural phenomenon that those that do not improve their position are moved backwards in time by life itself. That's just like, you just get, it's like it ate a, uh, like when you play a video game, you get like superpowers for a while and you become like Mega Mario or whatever. I don't play games, so I don't really know anymore, but something like that. That's what happened. Like 2020 was life got that power and it still has it. It's always had it. It's just more now. It's up to you to be moving forward or life is moving you backward. With that, i got a lot of great stuff for you today from the Expert Council. Great variety show today. Derek Bon Pietro will talk about shopping for a used work truck. Uh, Dr. Ken Berry will talk about how keto diets affect your blood vessel health and where genetics come in on this. This is important. Sean Mills will talk about self-design of a grid-tied solar system with battery backup. And why it's not easy to give a one-size-fits-all to that. It has to do with regional code and things like that. Uh, Next up, Doc Bones will give you the skinny on ivermectin as a COVID-19 treatment. I'll give you the short answer. It seems to work, and the establishment doesn't want it to, just kind of like everything else that works, just saying. Um, Next up, the literal, and I mean the literal ins and outs, like money in, money out, of your retirement accounts with John Pugliano. Next up, choosing the size of a tractor for farm or homestead use with Darby Simpson. And then I'm going to tell you just a little bit about something that's coming very, very soon, just a couple of weeks. As a counterinsurgency to what we've been talking about a lot lately, known as the Great Reset, we are doing myself, Derek Rose, John Bush, all the members of the Goose Group damn near, we are all part of something called the Greater Reset. This is an online event, multiple nights coming just to you, to you in just a few weeks, some really big names with there. I'll tell you all about it in my segment today. This is something you're not going to want to miss. Let's lead off with a quote of the day to get our mind in the right space. And I've, I've, th- There's certain quotes that I've been like, man, I need to bring these out from the shit that's going on with the, the whole pandemic or plannedemic is more and more what it feels like, right? Uh, And this is one of those. I've been waiting to drop this one on you, and I think that if you've seen what's gone on, especially in the last few months, politically, uh, economically, etc., this will really strike you between the eyes. If you've never heard it before, especially. It's by Voltaire. Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And, boy, are people believing in absurdities right now. And I will just leave it at that, and we will rock on into this episode. Uh, Leading off with Derek Bonpietro on how to shop for a used pickup truck, specifically a work truck in this situation.
2: Hey, TSP listeners. This is Derek from affordabledcgenerators.com. First off, want to wish everybody a happy 2021. I've got a question up for pickup truck purchasing. Before we get into it, If you're going to send me a question about vehicle purchasing, certainly give me all the details, how many people you're putting in this thing, what you're doing with it on a daily basis, what's the price range you're looking to buy at, what is your mechanical abilities. Obviously, if you're buying a used vehicle, they all need something. Could be small, could be big, doesn't matter. And knowing where you kind of fit on the spectrum of mechanical ability helps me out. Whether you're pretty handy with a tool and you can do, you know, belts, hoses and water pumps, stuff like that, or if you're at the other end where you've got nothing. The only tools you have are what comes in that spare tire kit in the trunk of your car. I need to know which end of it you're at, so that way I can get you really the best information. With that said, I've got a question from Jordan. Is the cost of pickup trucks going to stay crazy high for the foreseeable future? Background. Started homesteading a few years back and have been looking for a pickup truck at the right price ever since. My current car is paid off and reliable, but not great for the homestead. I don't need a truck, but it sure would make a lot of things easier. Trucks seem insane to me, and they've definitely gotten recently worse. My gut says that we're in for some hard times in the next few years, and higher gas costs are on the horizon. I'm thinking it's probably best to wait and hope to take advantage of a deal on a gas guzzler, quote-unquote. Would love your thoughts. All right, Jordan. I don't know exactly what we're doing on a homestead with you, I don't know if this is like, you know, a tenth of an acre in a suburban area or if you've got like a 50-acre ranch. I'm just going to kind of go with what I think of as a homestead vehicle. You're using a truck, hauling maybe a couple quart of firewood. You're moving a downed tree on the property. You're going into town and picking up some lumber for a project. And maybe you're sticking the family in there and going to grab some groceries or something like that or running an errand on the weekend. That's kind of my perspective on a Homestead vehicle when you say something like that. And obviously, I don't know what you need, so that's what I'm going to go with. Are pickup trucks ridiculously expensive? Absolutely. So if you go online and you're looking, the average price of a full-size truck in 2019 was $51,000. And the big three manufacturers seem to pride themselves on making the ultra-luxurious diesel one-ton crew cab trucks in the six-figure range. That is crazy. That was the cost of my first house. To do a quick rewind, in 1973, if you bought a four-wheel drive, big block, air-conditioned, one-ton Chevy truck, its sticker price in equivalent dollars today is 21754 So tell me that vehicle prices aren't inflated. The good news is you can purchase that ridiculously priced truck for seven years. Great news is 84 months to pay it off. Fantastic. So I just went on Auto Tempest, which is a great search engine, which picks up on uh, Craigslist, eBay, and some others like Cards.com. So it's really just a great all-in-one search engine so you don't have to go to different websites. And if you're looking for a truck in like the five to $6,000 range, I just typed that in out of curiosity. You're looking at maybe like an early 2000s in my neck of the woods. A lot of these trucks are going to have 150, maybe even 200,000 miles. You'd be lucky to get a V8. Seems like a lot of these are pretty base model V6s, although a couple of like extended cabs and V8s are popping up. But we're talking lots of mileage, and I'm in the rust belt, so a lot of these are at those classic dealers that have all the junkers. I don't think you're going to get really a lot at that kind of price point, and if you go up maybe a few thousand dollars, you can probably get the mileage down a little bit or something a little nicer condition, but that's kind of where you're at in that kind of price range. Now, I also don't know how many people you're putting in this and how long you're driving and what exactly kind of capacities we need for your homestead work. Maybe you're going to need a deuce and a half. I don't know. Obviously, that's limited to two people. You've got to be fairly strong to drive one of those with manual steering, But you could pick one of those up for a couple of grand, and that thing's a workhorse if you had, like, a ranch or a big piece of property that you were going to be working. And that's cheap money and a super reliable vehicle. And realistically, the only downside to a deuce is having a space to park it. If you're in the market for a super cheap work truck, another good option that is out there are uh, fleet vehicles. So, like, your classic town inspector vehicle or... Maybe a fleet pickup truck, it might be painted like a blue or a yellow or something, but the government used a bunch of vehicles, and they're usually stripped down base models that have, you know, bench C and vinyl and roll-up windows, and you'd be lucky to get a radio. But you got a lot of auction cars rolling around, and you can get them straight from the government or just go online and pick them up. Those are a great source for a super cheap vehicle, and some are really beat up, but there's some good options out there. An alternative, if you don't need a pickup truck, is to be looking at maybe something like, I don't know, a used school bus or a U-Haul truck. These vehicles are turned over when they get to a point where maybe the company doesn't want to pay to do the repairs, but maybe if you're a little handy, you can fix one of those up. So if you're looking for maybe a box truck or something, you know, school buses have to go away after 10 years. The government mandates that they sell them and that the school purchases a new one for safety reasons. Those things are super rugged, and if you were hauling stuff, like you had a farm and you wanted a hay vehicle, that's perfect. So I don't know exactly what vehicle fits you, whether you're looking for, like, the normal you know, half-ton pickup truck or something like that, or you're looking for, like, something a little bit more commercial-sized, but those are some options. The last option up that I'll throw into the ring is my personal favorite is the Chevy Cuck V. That's a CUCV. That's an old early 80s Chevy truck that the military purchased in a couple of different configurations. There's a Blazer, which is a half-ton. We won't talk about that one. And then there's a a pickup truck, a dually, a cab chassis, a generator truck, which is what I have, and then an ambulance. So there's a lot of different cab configurations, but all of them have one-ton axles, 456 gears, super low, Detroit locker in the back, which means you get tons of traction. They are diesel, and they have a really, really robust driveline. So we're talking Turbo 400, transmission that realistically you'd have to shoot it to kill it. These are made to haul tons of weight. You'll only be going about 55 miles an hour. They're a little sluggish on the highway. They're not bad around town. They're noisy. They're smelly, which I'm kind of into. So you'll get to the destination. You'll probably be late, and you'll probably be deaf by the time you get there. But they're super reliable trucks. Now, in my neck of the woods, you can pick up a super clean Cuck V pickup for eight to ten thousand dollars. Usually, they've been resprayed. All the maintenance has been done. You know, new tires, new interior, so you're not sitting on a an old crusty bench seat with a spring poking up out of it you can get yourself a good tire kicker for you know five or six thousand and you might have to just do a little bit of work you know needs brakes or needs a little bit of maintenance but those are kind of the ballparks for a pretty clean truck you know nothing that's rotted out or anything and these are super reliable and if if low speed like local work is what you're looking to do with this i think that's a good option there's tons of aftermarket support so you can get plenty of parts for them The driveline is what is the gold standard for the old, durable stuff. And the 6.2, although not the greatest diesel ever made, they'll go 300,000 miles if you don't snap the crankshaft on it, and they'll burn pretty much anything. You can put diesel, home heating oil in it, kerosene, You could even put jet fuel into it, the stuff that goes into the turbine, the big jets, not the small general aviation stuff, that's leaded gasoline. So it'll burn pretty much anything, as long as you're putting additives in it for lubricity. It's kind of a multi-fuel, even though it's not rated to do so. They're very, very multi-purpose, and fairly cheap for what they are. My personal recommendation is maybe one of those. I kind of laid out some options for you. Well, Jordan, I hope that answers your question. If the old classics aren't what you're looking for, it sounds like maybe you're just looking for a newer truck, and your best bets to time it with a big sale. You know, end of year, end of month, President's Week—all those big sale weeks are probably the best bet where you're going to get the best deal on something. Good luck finding a truck. Thanks for the questions, guys. Have a great 2021. Take care.
1: Next up, I have a uh, a really interesting uh, question about blood vessel health for Doctor Canberry as it relates to keto diets. And of course, you know, this is something that the medical establishment blathers on a lot about with no basis in the data behind it. But it doesn't mean, it does not mean that a person doing keto has nothing to worry about when it comes to blood vessel health, because there are other things that factor in like genetics. With that, Ken, let's talk about this subject.
3: Hello, Jack and the TSP crew. This is Dr. Ken Berry, family physician, answering a listener question today. This question comes from Bridget or Brigitte. Uh She had an episode over the weekend while she was hiking. It felt like a mosquito bit her really hard on the back of the leg. And then she had a large bruise occur over the area, and it looks like she had a vein blowout. She sent a picture, and that is that is what it looks like happened. Uh, she had a similar thing happen uh a, a little bit before that where she just had this sharp pain and then had a, an accumulation of blood under her skin. That uh, look like a vein blew out. Now, this is something that can happen. Uh Brigitte has been paleo, low carb for about two years and is a patient of Dr. Lewis and all the doctors test, I guess, for uh, coagulopathy and other blood related problems. Came out normal. Her aunt has a brain aneurysm that paralyzed her and left her totally incapacitated. So, okay. now multiple things to unpack in this. First and foremost, there could be a genetic predisposition uh, to your condition, Bridget. Uh, you may have inherited a, a predisposition to having uh, weak blood vessel walls. That is a thing that happens. It's very rare, but it could happen. And since you have that family history, then we definitely want to do everything to keep your uh, vein and artery walls as strong, as flexible as possible. So you, you've been paleo low-carb for a couple of years. That's excellent. What I want you to think about, Bridget and everybody listening is what are your vein walls and your arterial walls? What are they made of? They're made of connective tissue, fat, and protein. That's, that's what they're made of. Okay. So amino acids, fatty acids, and then the vitamins and minerals that you need. So I'm glad that you're, you've already been uh uh, paleo, keto, low carb, But what I want first and foremost to tell you is to make sure that you've got all the vegetable oils completely out of your diet. Don't eat anything that's been fried or cooked in vegetable oil. Definitely don't add vegetable oil to anything. You, of all people, shouldn't even have any vegetable oil in your house, and this includes any kind of Crisco vegetable oil, canola, soybean, peanut, safflower, sunflower, all of these things are gonna build the cell membranes of each and every one of your cells out of inferior fats. And you don't want that. You want your cell membranes to be built out of healthy ancestrally appropriate fats that we find by eating mainly getting our fat from animal products but then also maybe some coconut avocado olive oil those are probably not too bad either but even in that case i think the majority of your fats should be coming from animal sources Uh, that's number one number two is make sure you're getting enough of the collagen building blocks and so if you're not already making some kind of bone broth you need to do that uh, the way we do it is we just save the bones from every meal we eat, whether they're fish bones, chicken bones, uh, or, or ruminant animal bones. We save them in a one-gallon Ziploc bag in the freezer. And every Sunday, Nisha gets out the Instapot, and she cooks up a huge batch of bone broth. Sometimes we just drink it. Sometimes we use that to cook other things with, put it in recipes. Right, or sometimes just eat it like soup, because if there's any meat left on the bone, all that falls off, too. But you want to make sure you're eating all the cartilage, all the the, the sinew, the tendon, the, the gristle in your meat. Those, all those things are absolutely blood vessel wall building blocks. Also, sardines with the skin on and the bone in, that's another great source of all the collagen building blocks. When you eat a boiled egg, don't peel that tiny membrane off the white of the egg and throw it away. You want to eat that as well. That is pure collagen building blocks. And then thirdly, protein. You want to make sure that you're getting enough protein. Most women in the United States and indeed the world don't get enough protein in their diet. Do not be afraid of protein. It is good for you. It's not bad for you. And doing those three things are going to help tremendously to strengthen the walls of your uh, arteries and veins one final thing to understand is if you've still been using vegetable oil uh, and not getting enough collagen then the blood vessels you currently have are weakened there's no doubt about that and i think you're seeing evidence of that it takes months and months maybe up to six to nine months to replace all of the cells that make up the walls of your arteries and your veins some tissues in your body are replaced very very quickly uh, with new cells so other tissues take months to be regenerated and rege- renewed so that's why i want you to stop all the vegetable oils and really up your intake of collagen building blocks not by taking a collagen powder that's usually a waste of money i've got youtube videos about have great sources of collagen in your diet And then Nisha on her channel, Nisha loves it. She's got bone broth recipes and other things like that. And it might take another few months for you to replace all the cells in your vessel walls with new, healthy, optimal cells. Hope this helps. This is Dr. Berry. See you next time.
1: Next one up, I have a question here for Sean Mills on solar, which makes perfect sense. But in this case, we have somebody who is uh, trying to figure out what they need for solar in their own home willing to pay a little bit of money for that, but the only thing they're getting is quotes from people that want to do all the work and make all the margin on the labor and not really a lot of help with um, sourcing materials and things like that. So they've turned to our resident expert, Sean Mills. Sean, how do we solve this problem?
4: Hey, everybody. It's Sean Mills with Hack My Solar, and I've got a question today from Steve. Uh, Steve says, can you provide a direction to look at where I can begin to plan slash design slash build a grid-tied solar panel system? Hey Jack and Sean, I have been looking to supplement my power consumption with a solar panel system with a battery backup system. I have purchased a number of books and talked to a couple of solar installers and wanting to do all the construction myself, I feel I am continually hitting a brick wall by constantly getting a sheer lack of real information from books and from installers as I am not going to sign a fifty thousand dollar contract with them. I just want to purchase the equipment from them a little bit on specifics I would like i I know I would need a twelve kW solar panel system. information I am looking for is how to size a quote unquote power wall, good reliable grid tied inverters, and most important uh line diagrams lol yeah i get it <laughs> uh maybe it would be easier if i could just find a complete kit thanks steve hey steve you know i get this question so often um that i think on after listening to jack's podcast on getting published maybe i'll just write a book on the subject um i agree wholly with the notion that it's way more cost effective to have someone design your system to diy most of the work and to hire an electrician to do the parts that you aren't comfortable with or that your local codes require to be done by a licensed master electrician. So the issue here, and the reason why books won't help you uh, because they're too general it, most mostly is that every installation that's going to be tied to the grid has to meet the requirements of the electrical code in your municipality as well as the requirements set forth by the grid owner and the local power company, oftentimes, uh, which are different entities. So, for example, uh, in Tennessee, if you're going to tie to the grid, you have to get uh, approval from the local power company, of which there are 152 different local power companies in the state of Tennessee, as well as TVA, because TVA owns the grid, uh, as well as get it signed off by your county's electrical inspector. And so all three of those entities very well could have different requirements for your system. So if I were in your position, I would go to nabcep.org. That's N-A-B-C-E-P dot org and go to the professional directories section. I would then search for your state. And I would reach out to individuals who are not listed with an organization, right? So these are sol- solo people that are registered with NABSEP. And by the way, NABSEP is the National Association of Board Certified Electrical Professionals. I think it's electrical professionals. Um, but in any case, it's the folks that are certified by your state to design and install um, solar installations okay there's a couple of different levels that you can get uh, I actually looked at one point in, into getting uh, certified by them but they want you to design and project manage a certain number of grid tied um, systems before they're going to allow um, you to even apply for the test and I'm like you know if i if i can take the test and show you that i know what i'm talking about i'll do it but i'm not going to do all the other stuff that's irrelevant uh, just so that i have the honor of taking your test um but in any case if you find that person that is not tied to a company they're probably going to be willing to help you the other thing you could do is look again, at NABCEP, look for electrical companies. So, you know, John's Electrical Service, whatever, that they also do solar installations. You're going to get a lot more help, I think, with those type of people than people that are in the solar industry. So you want to explain to them that you want them, you want to pay them to design your system, which includes providing all of the required component uh, designations, all the UL listing certificates and the line diagrams, that's the package that you need to put together for the utility company, that you are going to source and install the components. You want them to do an inspection of the system prior to the electrical inspector coming out. You want them to handle your permitting and inspection fees, and you want them to handle any connections that the state or local code requires to be done by a licensed electrician. Okay, So those are the things that you want them to do. You want to write up a contract or maybe even a, a re- request for proposal document outlining all of those things. Um, and, and so it's very clear exactly what you're going to pay them to do. This is essentially what I did with the grid tie system I put in East Tennessee uh, where we had the Hack My Solar workshop in 2018, with the exception that I designed the system myself and just got a rubber stamp on it from the NABSEP guy. Um But yeah, this is the, the, that's the path you want to take. You want to, you want essentially to pay the person for the time for installation and for being the technical expert. And you will be the person that handles the procurement of the, uh, the devices as well as the installation, installing conduit routing, stuff like that. Um, it's, it's real easy to do. And as long as you understand what you're working with, it's not, uh, dangerous, right? The dangerous part is when you're actually making the terminal connections, which you're going to pay them to do anyways. Uh, so that's what I would do. Um, if I were in, in in your position, you know, not knowing what state you're in, um, reach out to a NABCEP uh, installer and, and see if they will do this work for you. And look, it, explain to them, hey, you know, if you come out and do this, help me out, get, help me get my system in for a dollar a watt or less, And, you know, I'll tell all my friends about it. This could be a new business model for you. Uh, The guys that aren't actually in the business of doing solar all day, every day, might actually be interested in working with you on that. All right. Well, good luck. Uh, If you guys have any other questions, get them in the jack. We'll get them answered. Next up, there's been some positive press, and more and more has been coming
1: out about, well, I guess positive press, positive information about, because the press just squashes everything, on the use of ivermectin. To treat COVID 19 and possibly even to use as a prophylactic to prevent the onset of symptoms. It seems to work. Um, as much as has been released lately about this from some smaller studies, this goes back into June uh, that we had the first, you know, pretty damn accurate. Indications that it was effective, and this has been been being used uh, individually by people in the Caribbean for a, almost since the beginning. Um, this is one of those things that I think does work. It may not be a cure all for everybody, but it does seem to work. It seems to be probably more effective than very very expensive medications. Uh, but what does our resident medical expert Doc Bones say about this? Doc, what's up with ivermectin and COVID nineteen? Hi,
5: Joe Alton, MD here, also known as Dr. Bones of the survival medicine website, doomandbloom.net, with over 1,300 articles, podcasts, and videos on medical preparedness. Together with my wife, Amy Alton, an advanced registered nurse practitioner, we're the authors of award-winning books like The Survival Medicine Handbook, Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, and Alton's Pandemic Preparedness Guide, plus the designers of an entire line of medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. This week's question for the expert counsel is from Sam, who writes, Is there an off-label veterinary alternative to ivermectin? There seems to be mounting evidence for the effectiveness of ivermectin treating COVID. and seems like a sensible thing to get a hold of. However, it's only by prescription, and the sites claiming to sell it are decidedly dodgy-looking. I wondered if there is an amoxicillin Fishmox equivalent for ivermectin. Thanks, Sam. Sam, as a first doctor to recommend the storing of certain fish antibiotics in survival medicine cabinets, in case we lose the miracle of modern medicine one day, I'm certainly on the lookout for anything that could help the off-grid medic save lives in times of trouble. you got to use all the tools in the medical woodshed. That qualifies me, in the eyes of the medical establishment, as certifiably insane, but my mission is to put a medic in every family, and medics need supplies. The anti-parasite drug ivermectin, an ingredient in HeartGuard for small pets and available online in a number of equine and food-producing livestock versions, has recently garnered a lot of attention as a drug that could prevent the transmission of COVID-19 and perhaps even treat the symptoms. This started with an Australian study that found that ivermectin had a good effect against SARS-CoV-2 in vitro, that means in petri dishes, and not on animals or humans. About a week ago, results from a small study done on humans in Bangladesh confirmed the potential for ivermectin. Hospitalized COVID-19 patients that received a five-day course of 12 milligrams daily did better than patients on placebo or on other combinations of the drug given just once with antibiotics like doxycycline. The five-day ivermectin group was 77% more likely to have viral clearance by day 14. The usual dose is 0.2 milligrams per kilogram of ivermectin. One kilogram, by the way, equals 2.2 pounds. Since ivermectin is FDA approved for treatment of parasitic infections, it's relatively safe and has its supporters in the medical community. Dr. Pierre Corey, a pulmonary specialist at St. Luke's Medical Center in Milwaukee, gave testimony last week in front of a Senate committee. He said that the data show that ivermectin is effectively a miracle drug against COVID-19. He actually said that. Dr. Corey is a member of a group of doctors calling themselves the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. They've published a review of the research that claims, well, not only can ivermectin prevent COVID-19, but it could also improve outcomes for COVID-19 patients. As usual, the critics have come out criticizing the ivermectin studies, claiming several flaws in the methodology. The CDC has come out strongly against using any form of ivermectin against COVID-19 until more is known, and that definitely includes veterinary sources. The perception of ivermectin as a COVID-19 remedy has mirrored that of hydroxychloroquine. That drug was highly touted as a possible treatment for COVID-19 after President Trump said in March he was taking it. The Food and Drug Administration even gave hydroxychloroquine a compassionate use authorization as a treatment for COVID-19, but later they rescinded it after some researchers claimed it wasn't effective. I believe it became just another political football between right and left, with statistics manipulated at every turn by academics who had just one purpose. I'll let you decide what that was. Dr. Corey says the difference between the placebo group and the ivermectin group is dramatic and large. Other studies, indeed, are also showing positive results, but they're all small sample sizes, and you know that the health authorities hate those. One randomized controlled trial in Egypt examined family members of patients who had tested positive for COVID-19. A dose of ivermectin was given to these family members twice, once on the day of the positive test and again a week later. After a two-week follow-up, just over 7% of family members given ivermectin had COVID-19 symptoms, versus 58% of those that were not given the drug. Also, a study in Iraq found that among both inpatients and outpatients, those who took ivermectin had their recovery time cut by an average of about seven days. Small sample sizes, indeed, can lead to biased outcomes, but so do biased scientists, regardless of the study size. Now, that's my concern. That's my concern, and it's made it very difficult for me to follow the science, as we're often told. Sam, with regards to veterinary sources, no veterinary ivermectin that I know of meets all of my strict criteria for medical storage of veterinary products. One, it must have one active ingredient, ivermectin. Two, it must be produced only in human dosages. In other words, the amount of ivermectin that a human would take. And three, it must appear identical to the human version made by at least one pharmaceutical company. Ivermectin does not, unfortunately, meet all of these criteria. Of course, ivermectin exists as a human drug, but by prescription only, as you say, and it looks like it'll stay that way. It certainly has potential, and some politicians, like Rand Paul of Kentucky, are formally asking for the CDC to swiftly conduct further studies into it for treatment of covid If we can keep the politics out of it, it might be an option to help end this pandemic. This is Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health and good times or bad. Thanks for listening. Hey, please consider supporting our mission by getting some of the quality medical kits, individual supplies, and personal protection gear available at store.doomandbloom.net. That's store.doomandbloom.net. Also join our new group on MeWe called Survival Medicine All caps, survival medicine. Thanks. I'm going to say that right now, I
1: pretty much trust the medical establishment uh, and the scientific community about as much as I trust a politician telling me it's safe to drink Tijuana tap water. About that much. One of the reasons that I never thought we would get to where we are with the COVID-19 pandemic is I never ever believed. And I've known about suppression of scientific information uh, for a long time. I've talked about it for a long time, specifically in the world of like global warming and all. But that world is so convoluted with so many different possibilities and permutations, it's ripe for fraud. Something like, does hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or an inhaled cortical steroid aid in the treatment of COVID-19, is so cut and dry, easy to prove and disprove that I, I... as much, I had some naivety left in me in 2019 or 2020 that is gone by 2021. I never believed it was as bad as it is. I never believed you could suppress the truth as effectively as the truth has been suppressed in fucking science. Science doesn't mean shit anymore. Science is now bullshit. I mean, science is a thing, is still real. But when you say science, as in, The science says you might as well be saying the genie in the bottle says it's that bad. I don't know ivermectin works the way I know hydroxychloroquine works. I have dug into the science on hydroxychloroquine to the nth degree. You guys know that my entire nutritional supplement based protocol for the prevention of COVID-19, which seems to work beautifully based on feedback on it which is now being recommended by various doctors, both medical doctors and alternative physicians, medical schools, etc., across the country are recommending it, even though the mainstream is suppressing that, the only reason it works is the same reason hydroxychloroquine works. So my gut, based on what I've read, though I don't have anywhere near the in-depth knowledge on ivermectin, is is it is probably dramatically effective. And I have just decided that you will never get the truth about this illness from science, mainstream medicine, or government. Now, I expect to not get the truth about anything from government. But the the medical and science industries have literally lost credibility to me at the same level as the media has. And this is, I want to tell you, I'm angry about it, but my other feeling about it is this is incredibly dangerous. This is incredibly dangerous when you cannot rely on the medical community, the scientific community, or the media to be truthful with things that you know the truth about in advance. So when they will lie to you and they know you, they, they know, you know they're lying, what can you trust them on? And we get into a place where even when they're telling the truth, the natural reaction from the majority of people is going to be, you're lying. And that's incredibly dangerous. There's a whole, you know, fable about it. The boy who cried wolf. And I I am fearful. The one thing I'm fearful of is when the wolf really comes and they try to tell you the truth, you won't believe them. And it'll be very difficult to believe them at that point, even for me. We're at a point now that you have to do your own research and you have to do your own extrapolation. You have to. Because we know, we know... Anybody right now that thinks you can trust the scientific community and the medical community, your brain is messed up. You are conclusive proof that the indoctrination system they call an education system works as designed. You are plugged into the matrix and you are done. I cannot... If you believe you can trust... If you believe you can trust the medical industry, not an individual doctor, the medical industry or the scientific community at this point, I I, I I genuinely feel that you're a lost cause. And if you think, well, if he was educated, if he was educated, he would understand. I invite you, as I've invited any medical professional, any scientist, I have an open invitation now for seven months unanswered. I invite you, if you want to prove to me that we can trust science and or medicine at this point, to debate me in a one-hour live stream debate with an independent third-party moderator. And if you if you like well I, I I believe that but then go find somebody go find somebody with as many initials after the name as you want I will eviscerate them these people cannot be trusted and that is sad and to me it is sick and it goes right back to our statement or our quote from the, of the day at the beginning those who can make you believe in absurdities can make you commit atrocities and believing that somebody walking around breathing free air outside. Minding their own damn business is a health risk to your grandmother inside a a nursing home 100 miles away is an absurdity. And it has certainly led to the commission of atrocities, and that's just one example. You want to know what another atrocity is? Having a medication that you know works and denying people access to it by saying it's dangerous when it's being used daily in the tens of thousands of doses by people who are far sicker. That's an atrocity. That is disgusting. That is an absurdity. And hence, it leads to an atrocity. Enough. Let's move on. Let's talk about retirement accounts. Breathe. One, two, three, in and out. John Pugliano on the literal ins and outs of retirement planning. Well, hey, TSP, let's start off
6: the new year with some questions about retirement saving. And we're going to approach this. where are a consolidated questions where we can look at it from both ends of the spectrum. From the basics of how you get started with retirement savings, all the way to the other end of it, where people are looking to take the money out prematurely. So our first question comes from Joshua, and he's asking about his 19-year-old daughter. She's working part-time while she goes to college at a local community college. She's saving her money, and she's interested in getting set up with a retirement fund. And he wants to know what she should do because he doesn't know how to guide her. Well, first of all, Joshua, congratulations on raising such a smart young lady. And really, it's a simple process. Since she has income, she can open up a Roth IRA. And all she needs to do is get online, and you can help her out with this. She just needs to do a little bit of research on discount stockbrokers. These are companies like Charles Schwab, E-Trade, or Robinhood. I personally do all my stock market trading through Charles Schwab. That's my own personal trading as well as my firm's investment trading. And I've had my first Charles Schwab account since probably like 1985. So I'm a big fan of Schwab. I've tried others over the years, but I've always found Charles Schwab to offer competitively priced services and to really have the best customer service in the industry. And to me, customer service is really important. So that's why I've stuck with Schwab. But right now, you know, we're in this golden age of investing where none of the discount brokers are charging transaction fees for trading things like stocks and exchange-traded funds. And as far as trading platforms and online apps and things, ah, you know, it's six of one, half a dozen of another. It's kind of like, do you like Ford pickup trucks or Chevy pickup trucks? People can argue about it all day long. I don't think it really makes much of a difference. So don't overthink too much about which discount broker you choose. Just pick one of them. She can fill out the application online through the secure servers that they all provide, and she can link up her local checking account to her brokerage account. And then from there, she can either decide to, on a periodic basis, have money taken out of her checking account and put directly into her brokerage account, or just as she saves and and accumulates her savings, she can make individual transfers to get the money into the brokerage account. Let me back up here. Specifically, when you go to the discount broker and you're opening up the account, she wants to open a Roth IRA. So that's the simple and easy part. Now, obviously, the harder question is how do you invest it? And again, I wouldn't overthink this, especially at her young age and with the modest amount of money that she's going to have saved up. Right now, the max that she can contribute at her age would be $6,000. And at that amount of money, you're not really an investor. You're simply a saver. So the important thing about getting started with investing and particularly retirement savings is just getting that Roth IRA account opened and start funding it. And then over time, as she gets older and more experienced and the money grows, then she can you know, start obsessing about how actually to invest it. You know, it's like the old Chinese saying about whenever the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I think it's that way with investing as well. For right now, get that money into her Roth IRA. Depending upon which broker you choose, they'll have different names for things, but she at least wants to get that money into some kind of a cash equivalent money market fund. The money will be safe there. It won't gain much in terms of interest or anything. But as it does start to build up, If she wants to move it into the stock market, the best place to start is with an index S&P 500 fund. There'll be an ETF like SPY. That's the ticker symbol for that fund, SPY. It would invest her broadly in the United States stock market, which is a great place to be over time her age, even if she did nothing more than dollar cost average into the S&P 500 over the next 45 years, you know, when she's going to need that money for retirement, then that money will continue to grow and compound. And over time, she'll find herself with a substantial retirement fund. But hey, the other thing to consider is it's not only all about retirement, it's about saving in general. And so while she should be saving for retirement, She shouldn't obsess over that because that's a long, long way in the future. She should also be thinking about her day-to-day expenditures. And so she should establish an emergency fund with at least a couple thousand dollars in it. So when the unexpected happens, she doesn't have to put money on a credit card to pay for an emergency. And then she wants to fund, you know, things like her next vacation or save up for the next car that she buys or for a down payment on her house. The way you build wealth is by looking at the big picture of all the things that you want in the future. And the way you do that is all about setting up a lifestyle where you're not constantly living paycheck to paycheck. You have the discipline up front when you have a little bit of money to learn to live well within your means so that you can set a percentage of that money away into savings and you earmark it for things like your retirement savings and paying off your mortgage and going on a vacation. You know, you're saving up for all those things rather than just having all those things up front and paying with it with your paycheck. And so what you're doing is establishing a savings account that's going to fund your future purchases. And if you start that way out when you're young and you have the discipline to save and not go into a lot of debt, then again, along the way, you'll either learn to invest it or you'll hire a professional to do it for you. And that money will grow and compound and you'll have the ability to buy more stuff than you ever thought you would. So it's not about denying yourself things. It's just about postponing the gratification. Ah, But I digress. Hey, the other end of that question, the other spectrum is unfortunately what I normally get questions about. It's not about starting saving early, but it's about people that want to take money out of their retirement fund before they're in retirement. And this is primarily people that want to take their money out of their 401k. And I get it because a lot of people are unhappy with their 401ks. They have a lot of expensive hidden fees. They don't provide very many investment options within the funds that are available. And you really don't have a lot of control over your own money. I get that. I mean, in fact, that's you know one of the reasons I set up my own investment firm was to help people with that. But on the other side of the coin, if you are working for an employer, then one of your best retirement savings mechanisms is to fully fund that 401k up the amount that your employer matches it. And even if it's a restrictive and rigid program, at least the money is being sheltered in a tax advantaged account. And so the problem is, if you want to take that money out, you're going to lose that tax deferred or tax free status. Now I'm not talking about when you quit your job and you can roll that over into an IRA or Roth account. I'm talking about people that are still working with their employer and they want to prematurely take that money out of the 401k, in which case they may be required to pay taxes or penalties on it. But right now, under COVID emergency hardship regulations, you are allowed to take money out of your 401k, even if you're still working at that job, and you won't have to pay a penalty for early withdrawal but you'll still have to pay the taxes. And so the question with that is, what are you going to do with that money? Listen, if you're an experienced real estate investor and you have opportunities to maybe flip real estate or to buy income-producing rental properties, and you're going to take that money prematurely out of your 401k, pay the taxes on it, and then use that money to finance your rental property income, well, hey, that may be a viable plan then. Because you can still find ways within the real estate laws that would be tax beneficial. But if you've never invested in real estate, I wouldn't suggest that you take your retirement life savings and risk that. Likewise, maybe with a small business, maybe you have a business or a side hustle and you want to grow and expand it. And you want to take your 401k money out and invest in yourself, invest in your business. Well, from a tax advantage standpoint, having your own business would be a huge windfall. But again, do you have any experience in in having a business? If you do, then you can think about it. But if you're just starting from scratch, you don't want to risk all your retirement savings on an enterprise that is likely to fail. So think long and hard before you take your money out of your 401k. Because if you are just going to turn around and, say, do standard investing with it in the stock market, well, you're going to be really restricted on how much of that you can put back into an IRA or a Roth and so you're going to lose that tax-advantaged status of that money. I would also not necessarily recommend that you take your 401k money prematurely out and use it to pay off your debts or particularly your mortgage. Right now, with interest rates as low as 2%, I don't see a whole lot of financial upside to paying that debt off early, especially if you're going to be using tax-advantaged retirement money to do it. Well, I'm out of time again. Hey, I remain optimistic about the short-term future and even more optimistic about the long, long-term future of America. I know there's a lot of pessimism out there, but remember, it all comes down to you. Well, hey, until next time, this is John Pugliano from Investible Wealth and the Studying
1: Podcast. Next up, let's hear from Darby Simpson on buying the right size and power, et cetera, options of tractor for use on your farm or your farmstead or your homestead or or whatever your needs might be. Hey there, everyone. Darby Simpson of grass fed life
7: here to answer another listener question. And this is all about tractors. And the question I got from one of our audience members was just how much tractor do I need for my farm? Um, and, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. It's kind of a loaded question. Um, and you you really have to do some assessment on what it is you are going to be doing and a few other things um, so that you don't buy the wrong piece of equipment because, you know, as someone taught me years and years ago, you can't unbuy a piece of equipment. And tractors are not cheap. I don't know if you've looked at them, but even used tractors, particularly right now, are really expensive. And part of that is is due to a, a shortage of supply. Um, along with everything else, we're actually seeing supply chain issues with large equipment. Uh, tractor dealers are running out of new tractors, and nobody wants to sell their old tractors. Um there's a, a little bit of uh, technology that goes into this that I'll discuss. Um, but back to the listener's question, you know, how much tractor do I need? Well, there are three things, three major things to think about with a tractor before you run out and buy one. Uh, the first thing to think about is horsepower, not, but not just engine horsepower, also PTO horsepower. Okay, uh, a lot of equipment that you would put onto the back end of a tractor will tell you, hey, you need this much PTO or power takeoff horsepower to run this piece of equipment. Uh, the next thing you want to think about is, do you need a loader? And if you need a loader, and you probably do, how much lift capacity? Do you need? What are you going to be moving around? What is it you're going to be doing? The third thing you really need to think about, and I, I think this is often missed because we get honed in onto a specific brand or a specific deal um, or, or whatever, and we overlook dealer support. You need a good. Dealer, Somebody that you like working with, and I would suggest a mom-and-pop shop, and fortunately there are still quite a few of those that exist, within, I'm going to say, a one-hour drive, if at all possible, of your homestead or your farm, uh, because things break. Uh, sometimes you may get into a situation where you need maintenance or repair done that you can't do yourself, and you've either got to get that tractor to them or they've got to come to you. And a lot of these places will still do farm calls. Uh, but obviously, the further away you are, the more expensive it is. And if you're too far away, they're probably not going to come to you. So um, don't let that be lost. You know, if you need to run and and buy uh, a, a new part uh, to, so that you can fix your tractor and get it back up and going, uh, closer, obviously, is better, Right. Um, and when, when does equipment go down? When you're using it and when you need it. So that really, really is very important. So, uh, particularly, you know, with brands because they're going to stock things that you're going to need. So let's, let's dive into this a little bit more, uh, so that we can help answer this listener's question. You know, what are you going to be doing with it? You know, are you going to be, going to do, be doing some mowing with it? You, you need to maintain property. Um, you're going to be doing tilling. You know, are you saying, Hey, I want to be able to, to till up a, a large garden area. I'm going to start a market garden. Um, you know, are you going to be moving hay bales with it? Uh, what is it you're going to be doing? And then beyond that, like, what kind of capacities are you talking about? You know, um, I, I kind of go back to like, when I first decided, hey, I need a tractor, right, uh, a, a big portion of what we do here is our cattle operation. That's now our biggest enterprise. And I've got some ground, and we're not going to get into the hay debate today, but I've got some ground that's, it would be very difficult uh, for me to graze it, to build fence, to get water, power, all these things, uh, but... I also was having a hard time getting hay that was good quality and affordable, uh, and it made sense for me to put this into hay ground and to do some of the work myself. Now, I'm not running a baler. I'm not running a mower. Those are big pieces of equipment. You need a lot more horsepower than what I purchased. But I could run a tedder and a rake. Obviously I needed to be able to move hay bales. Uh, my hay bales are about 900 to 1,000 pounds. So What I will tell you uh, is that what I figured out was I really need a minimum of a 45 on the low end horsepower tractor or maybe 50 horsepower tractor with proper lift capacity. And you've got to look at the loader. What will it lift and at what height? Be very careful uh, about how much weight you need to lift and how high do you need to lift it? Because the higher you get that loader off the ground, the less weight you can safely lift. But what I figured out was this, this is what I need. You know, and, and one way I figured that out early on is I used to borrow my father-in-law's tractor. Now he's got an older, it's like a little 32 horse Kubota tractor. It's a great tractor. And if you're not messing with big round bales like I am, something like that's probably going to work. But I remember one day for fun, I thought, you know what, I'm gonna see if I can go move a round bale. Uh, and at the time we had an older tractor that was my grandfather's that was huge, a great big old tractor, way bigger than what I needed. And that's what I used to move my big round bales. Um, but I tried his little tractor and it, it wouldn't even lift a 900 pound bale off the ground. So I knew, okay, I gotta have something bigger than that. Uh, but you gotta look and see like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna run this mower. Well, this mower says, hey, I need 45, uh, PTO horsepower, right? To, to, to mow with it or whatever. I want to lift this much weight this high. Those are the kinds of things you got to look at to, to do this assessment. Now, what I've had for many years is a Kubota L5030 with an 853 loader. And you can look up how to calculate that. That 853 is kilograms. You can convert that to pounds. But again, you got to look at, at what height can I lift those many pounds, right? And you got to have a counterweight on the back too for safety, put fluid in the tires, things of that nature. Um, Now, I've recently purchased a new tractor, and I'm not going to go into that today. I'm probably actually going to do a really long standalone podcast on what I bought and why I bought it. But, you know, these are some things to think about. What am I going to be doing, right? What's the minimum I need? Uh, What, you know, what can I get away with? What's available? What's my budget? Um, All that said... I'll, I'll leave you with the one piece of advice that a, a dear friend and older, more experienced mentor told me when I bought my tractor. When I was looking and I said, Paul, what, what, you know, what, what do I need? I'm looking at this. I'm looking at that. You know, I, I help. And he said, Darby, you can always use a bigger tractor for a smaller job. But you can never use a smaller tractor for a bigger job. And I will tell you, once you get a tractor, you will find all kinds of jobs you want to do. So when in doubt, if you can afford it and the deal's right you've got the dealer support, etc., always go with a little uh, bigger tractor than you really think you might need after doing an assessment. That's safe advice. Okay, so that wraps this one up. Um... Thanks for sending in this question. If you've got more questions, you can send them to me, Darby at grassfedlife.co. Some exciting stuff I want to mention here. We've got some new courses out at the grassfedlife.co website. Now, we've got our free course out there, which people have been signing up for like crazy. But I want to mention we've got two new homesteading courses. We've got a homesteading pasture poultry course. We've got a homesteading pigs course. And these are super inexpensive. They are 39 bucks. It strips out all the business stuff. It's just nuts and bolts how-to. I would encourage you to check those out. And if you happen to be a Survival Podcast MSB support member, you get 15% off any course at the grassfedlife.co website. Again, thanks for sending this question in. I hope you found it helpful. Keep them coming, guys. Love doing these short segments with you. Keep on farming and keep progressing your farm or homestead in 2021. Take care.
1: So, I mean, the only thing I'll just add to this is I, I look at tractors a lot like I look at boats or houses. I, very seldom will somebody say, gee, I wish this was smaller. Right. I mean, I know people downsize their homes and all, but in, in maybe it would be more accurately like greenhouses or outbuildings. Like, go as big as you can afford that makes sense for what you're doing is good advice in many things. Like, it's like a return line on an aquatic system. You know, no one says, gee, I wish my return lines were smaller. Gee, I wish I had less room in my boat. Gee, I wish my tractor had less power. Like, those are not things. So... Going higher, now I do think you can go. There are massive machines that don't make sense for the space you have to work in. So you've got to always temper that with some level of logic and reason. But within your space, go as big as you can afford that makes sense for you, uh, I think is, is really, really great advice. And all the rest of the stuff that Darby said applies to that. All right. So I want to talk to you right now about the counterinsurgency that is known as the Greater Reset. I want to lead off with a little bit about the Great Reset itself, in case you've been living under a rock and you haven't really heard about it yet. Um, But the Greater Reset is is an answer to it. The Great Reset itself, well, you know what? Why don't I do this? Why don't I just play for you right now Um, the announcement of the Greater Reset? But before I do that, I'm going to play you a little five-minute audio on what the Great Reset is. Then I'll uh, come back and I will play for you uh, the official announcement from Derek Bros about the Greater Reset. I'll tell you a little bit about it and uh, we'll wrap up after that. So here we go. This is a five-minute explanation of what the Great Reset exactly is.
8: It's not only a Great Reset, it's a Great Deception. Replacing mum and dad, small businesses and private enterprises with big tech and big business. Democracy and free enterprise go out the window, totalitarian government control slides in through the back door. Those behind this scheme are adamant that there can be and never will be a return to normal. That life will never again be what it was prior to COVID. That is why they constantly talk about the new normal. The World Economic Forum meets every January in Davos. You will have heard of the expression Davos Man. It refers to all the zillionaires and pop stars and popes and princes and politicians who meet every year to map out our futures. This year's Davos is very, very different to all the previous ones. The World Economic Forum along with the United Nations, along with the International Monetary Fund, and along with any number of prominent globalist organisations and powerful individuals, including Prince Charles, together have jointly promised that the 2021 World Economic Forum will be used to introduce, via a vast network of connected big tech corporations, online activist movements and compliant local and national governments, something they call the Great Reset. This isn't some sky after dark fantasy conspiracy theory. It is a global commitment they have made to use the panic and fear generated by the coronavirus as a means to reshape all our economies and laws and move to a new form of capitalism that focuses on net zero emissions. You might think this is a great thing, You might think this is a terrible thing. If implemented successfully, the Great Reset will undeniably and deliberately have extreme and possibly dire repercussions for every single one of your constituents. Already, the Great Reset is being widely advertised on posters and in ads across the UK and Europe, and no doubt will be here before too long. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy is just one of their marketing slogans. The plan involves replacing shareholders of big companies with stakeholders who happen to be left-wing bureaucrats and climate change zealots. Replacing mum and dad, small businesses and private enterprises with big tech and big business. Mrs. Kafut's share portfolio is out. Greta Thunberg's zero emissions are in. Democracy and free enterprise go out the window. Totalitarian government control slides in through the back door. But remember, it's not only a great reset, it's a great deception. Because in order to get everyday people to surrender many of the rights and freedoms we currently take for granted, the repeatedly stated aim of these organisations is to deliberately use COVID as an excuse, to use all the political and authoritarian tools, as Prince Charles puts it, that are currently being used around the world to eradicate the virus, such as lockdowns, exclusion zones, forced closure of businesses, heavy fines, making protesting illegal, and so on, but now to eradicate carbon emissions. Those behind this scheme are adamant that there can be and never will be a return to normal, that life will never again be what it was prior to COVID. That is why they constantly talk about the new normal. This is, this is not me saying this, this is them saying it, the people with the power and the means and the obsessional desire to do it. And they keep telling us again and again precisely what they have in store. Now is the historical moments of time, not only to fight severe virus, but to shape the system.
0: We have a unique but rapidly shrinking window of opportunity to learn lessons and reset ourselves on a more sustainable path. It is an opportunity we have never had before and may never have again. So we must use all the levers we have at our disposal, knowing that each and every one of us has a vital role to play.
8: The Great Reset is a welcome recognition that this human tragedy must be a wake-up call. It is imperative that we reimagine, rebuild, redesign, reinvigorate and rebalance our worlds rebalancing investment, harnessing science and technology, and advancing the transition to net zero emissions, all elements of the Great Reset are fundamental to building the future we need. And if it's still not clear, the book written by World Economic Forum boss Klaus Schwab himself, setting out precisely how the most powerful forces in the world are lining up to use the COVID-19 crisis as a pretext for introducing a new climate change focused one world economy that will strip away property rights and basic democratic rights. They are not hiding this stuff. They are shouting it from the rooftops. The World Economic Forum boasts on its website that the only acceptable response to the COVID crisis is to pursue a great reset of our economies, our politics and our societies.
1: OK, I want to say a couple things before I give you the official announcement audio from uh, John Bush and Derek Bros who have set up the Greater Reset Activation, which is going to run January 25th to the 29th. And just to explain to you, what's really going on here is is so subversive that otherwise intelligent people don't see it when it's right in front of their face and when the people doing it are being honest about what they're doing. So the video that you just heard, I actually made a copy of that. I posted it to my YouTube. I was afraid I might get banned or demerits or something, and they didn't do anything yet anyway. And I, I did it mainly to get a copy of it up onto my Odyssey channel. And not on Odyssey, uh, most of the feedback was pretty positive on Odyssey And YouTube, I was landblasted with comments telling me I had to be a complete tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist to believe that there even was a thing called the Great Reset. As you heard in that video, this is a plan from the World Economic Forum. This is not a, a true, in the sense of what we, we think of it, governing body, but it has a lot of power. Um, these are the, and there's a lot of involvement of governmental organizations within it. This is not a bunch of people that get around and play canasta. These are people that set global economic policies. We didn't call it the Great Reset, they have called it the Great Reset. The, the Prime Minister of Canada has invoked the Great Reset. The the pending new president of the United States, Joseph Biden, has said that, through his surrogates, has said that the Great Reset in the United States once he takes over will move faster. Time Magazine, Time Magazine, look it up for yourself. I'm, I'm not linking to everything that I say here. You can, you can use DuckDuckGo or Google if you still like to be tracked. And you can do this for yourself. Time Magazine in December had the Great Reset as a cover story the same week that the New York Times put out an article, not something like a letter from a a, a reader or something, like an article from one of the reporters claiming that it was a conspiracy theory. It doesn't exist. It's bullshit. It doesn't exist. Well, here's the World Economic Forum saying that it exists. Here's the Prime Minister of Canada saying that it exists. Here is a soon-to-be cabinet member in John Kerry Uh, representing Joseph Biden, the new president of the United States, whether you like it or not, saying that not only does it exist, but we will be happily participating in it. And when you start saying the things that they have planned in the Great Reset, my friends, these are not our things that we've made up. These are their exact words. The people doing it say things like, you'll own nothing, but you'll you'll never have been so happy. Well, if you'll own nothing, how will you get the things that you need? Well, you'll, you'll rent them. Somebody When one person rents a thing, another person owns a thing. That's the them. You are the us, and they are the them. There has to be a way to counterbalance this. And uh, it is the greater reset to a large degree. We need to fight this in a different way than we've ever fought anything that's come from government before. Because this is different But we're also going to follow a principle here. And I'll say more about that when I come back after you hear this. And that principle is never fight the enemy's war. Never fight your enemy's war. If you you fight the war that the enemy wants you to fight, 99 times out of 100 you will lose. It will take complete and total incompetence of the enemy. And our enemy here is not incompetent. And they have the upper hand and they have plenty of power. Right, If we fight their war, you might as well go down into a, a grist mill, being powered by a bunch of Clydesdale horses, and try to use your body to physically stop the millstone. You will become ground under. So education is the key, and that's what we're going to be doing here. Here is the announcement from Derek Bros about the greater reset, and I'll come back and tell you how you can participate in this
9: as we wake up to a new normal today and life is slowly grinding to a halt. Now masks are becoming the new normal.
1: Americans are facing a new normal. One that may include losing their jobs, losing their income, and even losing their health insurance. I don't think we
3: get back to normal.
1: I think we get
3: back or we, we, we get to a new normal.
9: It's time to reject the new normal.
8: Now is the historical moments of time Not only to fight severe virus, but to shape the system.
9: It's time to reject the Great Reset. It's time to support the People's Reset. It's time for the Greater Reset. From January 25th to the 29th, journalists, activists, researchers and advocates are hosting the Greater Reset Activation. A five day event dedicated to offering an alternative to the World Economic Forum's top down, centralized, authoritarian vision. Our desire is to help all people find community and liberty by providing practical steps and knowledge for co creating a world that respects individual liberty, bodily autonomy, and choice. The Greater Reset is the world's collective response to the World Economic Forum's initiative, The Great Reset. We invite you to join us for five days of discussion about the diverse opportunities available for those who seek to live in harmony with humanity and the planet while respecting our innate freedom each day is dedicated to a different domain and provides solutions to the wef's vision day one is dedicated to the agora and decentralized economics tuesday the 26th will focus on health and education day three will focus on nature permaculture and regenerative agriculture Thursday, the 28th, we'll highlight the liberating side of digital technology, including encryption, blockchain, and decentralized autonomous organizations. On Friday, January 29th, we will end the event by showcasing examples of intentional communities, freedom cells, and community organizing. Don't miss out on this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hear from some of the most powerful speakers in the world with a focus on solutions. We encourage everyone to organize local watch parties in your area using freedomcells.org. Also, find out more about the Greater Getaway in-person event in Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Visit thegreaterreset.org for more information. So that gives you a pretty big overview of
1: what's going on there. Let me tell you about some of the speakers uh, uh, that we have Uh, Dr. Vandana Shiva, uh, you may not have heard of this woman, but if you've watched any of the the major documentaries about agriculture, permaculture, soil health especially, you've seen her. Uh, She's an amazing woman, uh, tremendous force in the world for good, very well-known big name. Next up, Dr. Mercola. Dr. Mercola is just an amazing guy. And, like, these folks that, that Derek Bros was able to book for this. Uh, I'm honored to be speaking alongside of them. James Corbett, Charles Einstein, um, Rosa Clare, myself, Jack Spirico, Stephen Brooks, Richard Grove, um, Ronnie Cummins, Derek Bros himself, who put this all together, will be speaking. John Bush will be speaking. Jeremy Kaufman, that, if you like, that name sounds familiar. CEO of Library Blockchain, video-based platform, will be speaking. Um, Lots of folks that you'll know. How about Xavier Hawk? He's part of this as well. Uh, Good friend of the show. Our own Nicole Awesome Sauce will be speaking. Uh, We will have uh, Sal Mayweather. Sal the Agorist will be speaking. Uh, We have just an incredible lineup of speakers on a multi-evening event. You'll be able to watch these in live streams from the 25th through the 29th. Uh, My presentation, I'm not sure my time slot is yet, will be on the 27th. Uh, Again, that's when we're covering uh, permaculture, decentralized environmentalism, and stewardship of the earth. Uh, On the 25th, we're covering the Agora, counter-economics, free markets, the gift economy, bartering networks, cryptocurrency, and entrepreneurship. The 26th is health and education. Uh, And the 28th, we're going to have the liberating power of technology and blockchain encryption and the decentralized net. The 29th, we're talking about community building, intentional communities, Freedom cells, alternative forms of organizing. I, my segment is going to be on producing your own protein and fats through backyard food production with small livestock and aquaculture because I think that's going to be one of the most critically um, uh, important things for you to be able to produce for yourself going forward. We're going to have food. We're going to have food shortages over the next year. I'm telling you that right now. I think there's some people that are maybe taking this a little bit further than it's going to be. Uh, I shared one of Ice Age Farmer's videos yesterday, and I said, I, "I don't think it's going to be as bad as he says, but I do think it's going to be half bad." And wait before you gloss over that half bad is really ba- half that bad is really bad, and where we're going to see some shortages. And there's there's just mathematical certainty at this point. And if you look at the futures market for these two commodities, you'll see they just went through the roof, and that's corn and soy, because we had weak production this last year. And we're stupid and we keep selling corn and soy at record amounts to China while other countries have banned exports because they know they can't afford to this year. You really got to let that sink in. And then you have to ask yourself, why? Why would we be so stupid? I mean, we do a lot of stupid shit, especially when it relates to government. Our government does a lot of stupid shit. But why would we be that stupid with our food supply? you got a nation of 330 million people. Let's export our food supply at a record amount while we're in a shortage. You only do that if you want the results. And guess what? You guys that are like big, huge fans of Donald Trump, man, he's going to think it happened on his watch. And I'm I'm not I'm not individually singling out Trump. I'm telling you, it's going to continue under Biden. It may get worse. It may get worse. We have a real pending crisis. And that means not only are you going to have to be able to grow your own livestock, you're going to be have to put up the feed you need, and you're going to have to be able to produce some of it for yourself. And I'm going to be talking about that. I've done that on the show, but I'll be talking about it in like a live stream presentation with slides, uh, along with all these other great presenters. So if you want to register for this, and make sure you don't miss out on it, go to thegreaterreset.org, thegreaterreset.org. And, of course, there will be a link in the show notes today. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you guys, if you want to support this show, one of the best ways to do that, become a member of the MSB, that is the Members Support Brigade, the TSP, MSB. And then just use all the great discounts that we get for you through our negotiation powers with vendors. And, you know, you're probably going to buy most of this. I would say you're going to buy some stuff like we have discounts on every year anyway. You're probably going to buy seeds and plants. If you use uh, herbs and teas and tactical equipment, gardening equipment, uh, CBD, Kratom, I mean, any of that stuff, herbs, we have discounts on that. We have discounts on uh, tactical stuff. We have discounts on, well, just about everything that you can think of in our space. We have discounts on fertilizer, we have discounts on coffee. From Food Forest Farms and Holler Roast with our own Nicole sauce, we got you a discount on Butcher Box. It's ten bucks a, a month, so if you use that for a year, that's that's hundred and twenty bucks on a fifty dollar membership. That's a good deal. I mean, it just takes care of itself in so many ways. It pays for itself year after year. That's the way that I built it, and uh, it comes out to supporting the show at about eighteen point three cents an episode. Um, and you can pay in cryptocurrency if you want to as well. Just never forget that. Next up, the other thing you can do is do your online shopping through tspaz.com. That's t-s-p-a-z, tspaz.com. As long as you start your shopping at tspaz.com, you help us out no matter what you eventually buy. Today I have for you a really simple product. It is a, uh, a, a phone, uh, tripod phone mount. And it is a great little, and it is made out of plastic, but it's, you know, you, you look at plastic things and go cheap plastic or well-made plastic. This is well-made plastic. It rotates, so you can shoot your phone vertical or horizontal, depending on the application. I don't like vertical video, but if you're doing Instagram or something like that, some sites require, ver- I think TikTok requires vertical video. I really don't post to those uh, uh, sites, so I don't have to, but you might. Uh, it also does great horizontal video, and it just works. And it's eight bucks. It's 8 bucks. Um, the one I'm recommending right now is uh, being marketed by a company called Olanzi, U-L-A-N-Z-I. I- I'm going to tell you what. This product is sold, it's probably all from the same shop shop, by a variety of different brands. Whenever I bring it around, I find the, the best price and availability on it, and I recommend you buy that one because they're all the same. Uh, and if you do video work uh, and photography with your phone, uh, I cannot recommend one of these highly enough. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day as we finish off the Highwaymen week, and this song is called Anthem 84. This is going to be the one song I'm going to play from them this week that I would bet you, unless you're specifically a person that really you know listens to the Highwaymen or some of the artists like Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash, uh, that were part of that country supergroup, you may have never actually heard this song before. It's an interesting song. It, 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 I think it's interesting. And in one thing, the the, the title Anthem eighty four never appears once in the uh, the lyrics of the song. The song really should relate to all of us. In this case, it it definitely sounds to me like there's no song facts or anything I can look up on it to see what the what the, what the writer of the song believed it to be about. Because that's always interesting to me as well. I couldn't find anything like that, but it seems to be coming from a romantic standpoint. And being in a relationship where the other partner is in a completely self-destructive tailspin. And I think Johnny Cash is the one that sings the most of the lead in this. is not going to leave them, but they're not going to help them either. I won't leave you behind, but I'm not going to help you out in what you're doing. I'm not going to enable you. I think it's a very difficult position to be in. I think all of us at one time or another have been in a position where we have some form of relationship, either familial, uh, romantic, or potentially just a friendship, where we do not want to abandon the other party. But the other party is held bent on destroying themselves. And I think in that situation, all you can do is be there for them in the way that, that makes sense, and do not enable In a weird, twisted way, it makes me think of these TV shows you see with these people that weigh like 500 pounds and they can't even get out of bed. And I think you know, once you get to that state, if you stay that fat, the person who says they're worried about you is feeding you. And it's so ridiculous on its face. And it's so obvious. When you look at it, you're like, well, of course they are. And this is horrible. Why would you do that? But you know, when people are enabling somebody that, you know, won't provide for themselves or has a substance abuse problem or something else like that, it's a little harder to see sometimes, especially when you're the one in the middle of it instead of the one looking on. And all I can say is if you're in that position, it's difficult, it's difficult to step back and say, no, I'm not going to enable this behavior anymore. But it is the right thing to do, and it may be the difference between that person surviving or not. With that's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast.
0: Don't ask me to lend a helping hand You were such a pretty dream as I remember You were young and strong and God was on your side But the vision slowly faded Like the wonder from your eyes You traded your compassion for your pride but I still believe in all that we believe in. And I pray to God that you will let me in. The end. And you'll see the golden chances that you wasted. And be the loving beauty that you can.